he was just like, do you even like neuroscience? And I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, just quit. And I did. And then I'm doing English now and I'm way happier. Hello and welcome to The Common Room, a series of conversations between members of the Yale English Department. I'm Derek Green. Today, we're talking to Kariatu Keita. She's a junior at Bradford College from Harlem in New York City. She's also majoring in English and planning on completing the department's creative writing concentration in fiction. Hello, Kadiatu, and welcome to The Common Room. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And Kadiatu, you're the first student who will be joining the podcast series. So we're really happy to have you and thrilled to hear about you. We'll start with the question that we ask everybody, which is, can you just tell me a little bit about your deeper background, your background beyond the bio? I was born in Guinea Conakry, which is the city of Guinea in Dixin. So in Guinea, my life was very different from now. I think the only thing that made me a minority in that country was the fact that I was born a woman. Socioeconomic-wise, my uncles owned oil. They traded in China and France. The big change was when I came to the U.S., I became a minority in everything, in every sense of the word, like definitely compartmentalized. I went to a Korean-based charter school in Harlem. I think the owner married a Korean woman, came back and was like, you know what these kids need? These Black kids, they need to act like Asian students. So the, the racial dynamics of the school were not the best. But outside of that, I had the best time. I had a really good time in high school, outside, around school. I would apply to a lot of scholarships traveling. I went to every continent except Antarctica and Australia because I don't like the bugs. I had a grand old time <laughs> in high school. How did you come to be at Yale? Is there a story about how you got here? Like I said, the move really was a big punch to me. So coming here, I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to get into a good school just to make it up to my mom. She probably worked so hard, but I never had anything specific. My goal was just to lessen the burden. In 2013, our school held tours at big school, these Ivy Leagues, and Yale was one of the first schools that stood out. And more specifically, because of one handsome tour guide. The thing is, I remember everything about him, the way he looked, the way he dressed, don't remember his name, but just his entire story. He had come from Ghana, West Africa. And he, he basically said how he felt at home at Yale, despite being an imposter. He never, it wasn't like, he said, I have everything under control. I have all the check marks. I know what I'm doing now that I'm at Yale. He basically said he was lost, but he felt supported by the people here. And that was something that I had not heard from other like tour guides. And I definitely felt that I needed support. So like from freshman year in high school, I wore like this gray Yale sweater, thinking about this one tour guide and the fact that I was going to be supported at this big school. And so I remember the application period. I just, you couldn't tell me anything. I was so touchy. Like I was going to Yale. That was it. Did you ever see the tour guide once you got back to he Yale? did not. He was a senior and he disappeared. I don't know his name. Long gone. Maybe you'll hear the podcast. <laughs> Reunited. We'll come back. You mentioned being supported and feeling at home at Yale. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about who you see as your community at Yale? I know you're in the English department and the creative writing. Mm -hmm. Is that community? Is that part of a broader community? Like I said, I lived in predominantly Black spaces my entire life. In Guinea, it was the stuffy, upper-class Black African families. In 
Harlem, it was like the same Black Caribbean families my entire life. And I come to Yale, this predominantly white institution, and I see more white people than ever. Of course, I saw a couple of scattered white people in my private school in Guinea, but now it's like I'm in this place. So the community I ended up gravitating towards were just the AFM house. That's the first place I went. I said, I'm going to stick here. And that ended up happening. I kind of ended up branching out as much as possible, but the community ended up being a lot of Black women, artists, the clubs that I ended up doing ended up being surrounded by them. If I was recommended for something, if I was reached out to, it was like by these Black women, by these Black people, people of color in general. My friends ended up being really diverse, which I'm grateful for because I learned got a lot of experiences. When you arrived, you weren't necessarily thinking about being an English major and creative writing in particular. How did that come to pass? <laughs> my mother is sad that I'm not a neuro data science pre-med anymore, but I blame my artistic friends. I'm part of the Dramat, which is like a theater group. I'm a costume designer. I do podcasts. I write for magazines. It's just because the friends that I was around. But I came here thinking that, you know, I, like I said, I didn't have any plans. I just thought, okay, I'm going to make my parents happy, my mom happy. That's it. But while I was taking all these heavy, stuffy classes, I was also sneaking in a whole bunch of literature classes. You were actually the first professor that I had. 120 <laughs> was the class. I think from then on, I was just like, hmm, this is great. This is nice. I'm just going to continue writing. <laughs> so I would sneak in my writing classes in between the neuroscience classes. I think at a certain point, I was talking to an advisor and I was like, I'm going to add data science to my to my neuro pre-med track. And he just looked at me. He was just like, do you even like neuroscience? And I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, you're improving because I, I wasn't doing so well. But are you happy? And I'm like, absolutely not. Should I? So he was, I was like, just quit. And I was like, okay, I will. And I did. And then I'm doing English now and I'm way happier. Well, we're happy to have you too. So that's a great, good news and a good story. Do you have a favorite piece of writing or something that inspired you from the creative side since you pursued creative writing? Is there any books or writers or authors? The book that solidified it and that kind of pushed me to just finalize it was sophomore year, my first semester. As it was ending, we read a book. It was in this Caribbean diasporic literature class, and it was by Shani Mutu, and it was uh, Serious Blooms at Night. And the main characters are in this imaginary place, but it's based off of Martinique, this island in the Caribbean. And one of the main characters near the end of the book, she sleeps or she lies in a garden that she creates right outside the house she was traumatized in. This is before the pandemic hit. So it's right there. And then we're falling into it. And all this trauma is coming back up again in the marches. And my friends and I, we are starting this Black Arts Collective, and we had these conversations for our art show. And one of my colleagues, she brought up the fact that Rodney King, for example, survived after he was beat. But how does he feel seeing George Floyd? And so like, he's really traumatized and we're all in this space. How do we heal? But she wrote it in a way that didn't really exploit herself or her trauma. I thought about my own writing, how I started writing mostly to deal with like 120, I wrote a lot about my family and like things that haunted me and it was kind of dark. But um, I was like, how do I do this without putting myself too much or, you know, putting this work on me? How do I do this? And so I looked to her and I that's kind of what kickstarted everything and made me kind of solidify. OK, I want to start writing. I want to do this. You know, you mentioned a couple of things in that comment, your work with the Black Arts Collective podcasts and your writing and drama. And so I'm curious, how do you balance it? Or what's a typical day in the life of Kadiatu like at Yale? 
balance is a very kind word. I don't even think balance is the word. Beginning of the year, I told myself I'm going to shut off. I'm going to give myself a clean schedule. I'm going to turn off all the phones. But then all my friends are like, hey, do you want to do this? I accept it immediately. Like, of course, it sounds so cool. 9 a.m. I wake up because <laughs> I'm taking Korean. I didn't want to lose that language. And then from 9 a.m., I'm taking a bunch of my English requirement courses because I started very late. I was doing a whole bunch of labs for the first two years, and now I'm like completely arts-based. My day would either end, sometimes it would end at noon or 1, 2 p.m. Other times it would end at 9 p.m., but that's not even accounting for the clubs that I'm doing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm throwing myself in. I should have kept my phone off, but... One project after another, I'm currently working on costume designing a show called Waka, which is like a good friend of my Parker Red Cross. He wrote it. And I was just like, I'm definitely doing this. But then I had already done the podcast, the Attune podcast with the YBN, and then the Neo Collective. I was like, oh no. Welcome to Attune, an audio narrative anthology brought to you by the Yale Daily News. In order to stay in tune with others, we bring you compelling narratives about the everyday and the extraordinary. I'm still doing it. I'll have my cake and eat it. It's a Yale student schedule, in other words, right? Yeah, basically. Let me ask you one final question, Kadiatu. What's on the horizon for you? Have you got something coming up that excites you? Other than the projects that I'm doing, planning and rethinking what my final thesis is going to be, I was thinking about writing a book and finishing my year with that. And that's ambitious because a year, a book... That's not, but like, I kind of just want to put something out there or like just maybe that'll be a combination of like my time at Yale and the things that I've learned and it'll be something I can look back at even if I don't publish it. But that's what I hope, at least at the end of this year, that I have an idea for like what I want to write and plan it out for when I apply for the concentration. Well, thanks, Katya, for talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to The Common Room. Our producer is Robert Scaramucci at Class of 19, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions.